Hey everyone. Welcome to Thursday I, December 21st. This is Alex Volkov. I'm an AI evangelist with Blades and Biases. I'm the host of Thursday I. I'm here to talk to you about everything interesting that happened in the world of AI and open source and large language models for the past week. And I'm usually joined, if you're new here, I'm usually joined with a bunch of experts as we record live this conversation of ours to present you every week. This week was a interesting one. Specifically, I'm talking about the recording process of it. We usually record live every week. This live recording specifically had a bunch of technical issues. And I decided to bring you a summary, a recap that I'll record after the live recording. And then if you still want to hear the whole conversation, you're welcome to listen to the rest of it. But bear in mind, please, that there are some audio issues plugging that and they were not very easy to solve around or fix in post, I should say. With that in mind, I'll just recap everything that we've talked about. And if you still want the full conversation, including all the details, feel free to keep listening. Before we dive in, I just want to wish everyone a, a great holiday season and hopefully very happy holidays for all of you. And we'll see how many other AI presents the centers in those big AI companies will bring us. And I assume that's at least some. But for now, I just want to briefly just wish you Merry Christmas and happy holiday season. Today's episode was full with insights and debates. We've actually debated a little bit and, and we explored a large range of topics from open source large language models to transformer alternatives and some stuff around AI art and diffusion. Here's basically everything we've talked about. We started with this controversy around the LAION 5 billion dataset. Uh, Lion dataset is very well known in the world of AI, specifically around the diffusion model. It was famously trained. Uh, it was <clears throat> 5 billion images, or I guess I should say links to images uh, with annotations and alt descriptions that were collected by a bunch of scripts for this German nonprofit. Uh, it was famously uh, supported by Stable Diffusion, and w uh, Stable Diffusion uh, was trained on it. And it's recently has been taken down from the web, uh, faced CSAM allegations. CSAM stands for Child Sexual Abuse Material. Um, and uh, now the dataset is taken offline, so you cannot find it anymore. There was a report from Stanford Internet observation agency that showed that uh, at least a thousand or a few thousand um, images were in that data set. And this opens like a larger conversation about the scrutiny of open source nature of AI data sets, specifically because they're collected via scraping and not manually. This is also very problematic because even Testing those images yourself is illegal in many jurisdictions. There are specific places on the web that, that can actually like look at the images and see whether or not they're CSAM. The Stanford folks released at least some of the pipeline that they've used to identify whether or not this dataset has any of those uh, very, very legal material as well. And this could potentially open criminal charges as well for some of the folks. Um, so we talked about a few of those. We don't know that much. There's a whole conversation about this. Uh, on, on the web. And the interesting thing we've definitely discussed is that this type of scrutiny is only o o possible for open source datasets 
by nature of them being open source, but probably the same, if not worse, is happening with closed source data sets, which is problematic. And that, if anything, we hope that this will not shut the door on data sets like this being collected and open because it does open up a lot of good in the world as well. We, after that cheery conversation that I never imagined I'd be <laughs> leading uh, or hosting, we talked about evaluation frameworks and benchmarks. We covered Flask, which is a new evaluation framework from the Korean Institute, case that showed quite a stark difference between the open and closed source models. Even on benchmarks, they were previously comparing them and showing them to be the same. For example, many open source models claim that they achieve GPT 3.5 level uh, in terms of performance, but then uh, using this new evaluation framework, it shows that not really. This, this is a little bit of a, a different way to approach modeling and evaluating benchmarks. Uh, and then this led into a whole discussion about the nature of reliability of open source uh, leaderboards like the Hagen Face large language model leaderboard. And this was a hot topic specifically because we've covered the very contentious and very spicy thread in the Hagen Face community where somebody posted the supposedly best performing model. There was a, a fine tone of Yi34B and that looked good on benchmarks, but they didn't reveal their sources. And there was a, a whole conversation whether or not that model was trained on those evaluations or not. And then we dove into implications around model evaluation at all. Uh, whether, how do you even know if those evaluations make sense, if the model is actually better? There was a whole debate about this. I, I suggest you keep listening if that interests you. We also briefly touched about the new transformer architectures. We didn't dive deep, but we, there are two new transformer alternative-ish architectures, both actually from folks from Together Compute. One is called Heina, one's called Mamba, and they're gaining a little bit of momentum. We also covered the Apple's advances in first in open source and then in their stuff. Apple recently released MLX, which is a way to run inference on models on specifically on Apple devices that without a bunch of dependencies. So we've covered that Hagen Face now has a community about MLX stuff and there is new a new tag in Hagen Face which you can filter MLX compatible models that you can run on your machines. It's very easy to run and they run fast, including Whisper and some other models. And we also talked about LLM's uh, paper, oh, sorry, Apple's paper called LLM in a flash, hinting that uh, exciting on-device AI capabilities will come to future iPhones because LLM in the Flash talks specifically about uh, lowering the hardware limitations and performing very well on lower kind of hardware devices. Our journey to our conversation took us through very interesting areas where Microsoft Copilot, previously known as Bing Chat, is now support for plugins. And then we talked about a very specific plugin called Suno, which they've added, which is in the realm of voice and audio innovation, where you can generate a full track of sound, including the beats, just by typing. So it's basically text to a Spotify-ready track. It's really something. And there's a few examples that I'll add to the show notes. We've also talked about AI art and diffusion as well, where we've discussed Google's video poet work, and the hard thing about consistency in longer sequence of videos. So we've mentioned video models a few times already, text-to-video, image-to-video, like a Stable Video Diffusion, for example, Pika Labs and um, Runway ML, all those. And the biggest problem there is consistency, and Omesh took us through 
the the new innovation in Google's video poet. And then we also covered Midjourney version six, which released just yesterday, that looks just incredible and has text and the images there just looks like real life. It, it, it's incredible. I'll add a few images in the show notes as well for you. So this was a quick summary, around eight minutes or so, nice, uh, of everything that we've discussed. As I previously mentioned, um, please feel free to listen to the rest of it. Um, but just let me apologize again in advance for the sound quality for the rest of this. This was taken almost as is from the Twitter recording uh, download, which is not that great. Uh, and I just wanted to wish you a happy holiday season again. And uh, Merry Christmas. If you celebrate, I definitely do. I'm going to wrap presents after I finish uh, delivering you this for my kids uh, for tomorrow and for the next few days. And keep your ear to the ground. We'll definitely be posting some more stuff. And uh, I don't think that the AI surprises will stop over the holidays. We may get some surprises from the big companies. So we'll definitely be updating about those next week. And see you then. Okay, we're about to get started, and I guess we already got started. There's a bunch to talk about, and very interesting. Very interestingly, not a lot is kind of how should I say our usual style of reporting on stuff because this week was very interesting. I will start with just the fact that I think there was either on Monday or on Tuesday. Uh, do you guys know who AK is from Hugging Face? He's the guy who posts Twitter papers, uh, archive papers. There was a unique incident where he posted that there was no AI papers posted that day. And his to-do list was was empty. And this guy has been doing this. If you don't follow AK, you definitely should follow him. He's been doing this for a long time. And I found it just like a very good representative thing because last week as we were talking and I haven't yet changed my username, there's a lot of people in NeuroAPS. And a lot of AI stuff happened around NeuroAPS. And many people released a bunch of stuff before Right, so we know that Mixtral released on a Friday before New IPS. We talked about Mixtral. We're going to talk about Mixtral a little bit today as well, if the sound setup and everything holds. And then the week after, it looks like people just took a little break and did not release a bunch of stuff. So hopefully, uh, we still have a ton to cover. We still have a lot of things to cover. And I just want to say hi to my guest host today. Hey, Nisten. Hey, uh, Umesh. Nisten, go ahead and introduce yourself, and then Umesh, and then we can get started. Yep. Hey everyone, I'm Nistin. I work with RL on open source stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm here in every room since uh, March. It's been a long time since we have been jumping on. And yesterday, as I was going through my sickness, you, you guys may still hear this in my voice, a lot of like presents that I brought with me from Europe, I was considering not jumping on. And then I was thinking, Nistin, this is like, we only missed one, I think, since March. Only one life space was missed and I was on vacation and still even the newsletter was sent. And so I'm very happy that I was able to pull myself together uh, and jump on. I'm very happy that you're here for so long. Umesh, go ahead. Hey, my name is Umesh. I'm based in London. I have my own startup. I've been in ML space for 12 years and we are currently working with uh, implementing 
open source and closed source models in enterprise applications, and also working on a foundation model for temporarily uh, aware uh, data. Awesome. And thank you for joining Amesh. And I think last week was your official kind of first uh, co-hosting. Before that, you're just like joining as a commenter. So thank you for that. Thank you for joining. And thank you everyone who tunes in from week to week. I see a lot of like friendly faces in the audience. I see a lot of people who follow with us and kind of parts of the community as well. And shout out to you because without you, it would be very boring, but definitely shout out to all the co-hosts who joined the space because otherwise it'd just be me talking. And honestly, I'm not an expert on many of the things we talk about. And I think the, the best thing that comes out of this is that we have experts who actually do the stuff join us as well. All right. There's quite a lot of things to cover here and uh, today. And I want to start with, actually, we're usually starting with open source. So let me try to, let me try to do the transition for open source stuff. Open source AI, let's get it started. One of the probably biggest and most fun things that we do here is talk about open source, and there's a lot to cover. And I think, and Niston, keep me honest here, but I think we should start with the most contentious thing first, and hopefully not dive super, super deep into this, but it must be reported as it was a big part of what happens in, in open source AI. And yeah, we'll cover this. Just maybe as a little background, we're going to talk about Leon, Lion. I don't know how to actually pronounce this, Leon. So if you guys don't know, we've talked about Leon before. There's this huge data set of 5 billion pictures. It's not even pictures data set. I think it just links to the web and some alt description, alt tag description of around 5 billion tagged images. And this data set has been created with some help i think and compute from stability ai and it's in the open source and it's been famously used to train stability uh, stable diffusion 1.4 almost a year ago and uh, if you remember any controversy around it you may remember that a lot a lot of artists used to say hey this data set features works of mine that i haven't approved to be used, and then there was, I think, two lawsuits that were later dropped, etc., against stability or against this Leon. It's created by this nonprofit from Germany, and so this data set is Leon 5B. And we've talked about multimodality a lot in the space, and as you guys know, so data sets like Leon 5 billion and others are really instrumental to creating the kind of the multimodality, at least from the vision perspective, right? Because these models, they train on text and, and, and images as well. And so this is one of the biggest and more open source data sets. And it was taken down yesterday um, or maybe a few days ago. It was taken down from the web. If you go to, I think, Hugging Face, you won't find it. And the reason why it was taken down is because some folks from Stanford, the researcher group from Stanford, I think Internet Observatory thing from Stanford, alleged, so far it's alleged finding, because I don't think we, we saw the actual findings, that it included some SCAM, Child Sexual Abuse, I don't know what DM stands for, Imagery, material. material. Thank you. <laughs> That's easy. I should have known this one. Thanks, Nisan. And the Stanford Internet Observatory team ran, and Nisan, I would love to, to 
have you join on how they actually did this, alleged that they have found traces or, I guess, links to child, I guess it used to be called child pornography and now it's called CSAM, uh, child abuse uh, material, in that data set. And so that's obviously bad, right? That's obviously bad when you have an open data set that's hosted and plastered everywhere and it's really like really hard to take down as well so unlike facebook and other places where they can just take down the the source and remove the person block them uh, and we know that facebook or meta is dealing with a lot of this as well and they have like advanced tools this is in the open source this uh, data set includes again allegedly includes but traces and i think they talked about like a thousand or so images from a five billion image data set that the flagged hashes and by hash we mean they don't usually have those images i think the way this works and i would love to ask my folks on stage if more but i think the way this works is that there's like a almost a central reporting place where i think usually people report this and then the big companies like meta i know they participate in this a lot they contribute hashes so they don't actually contribute the actual images but they contribute hashes for those images into like almost a centralized data set so that everybody else can actually run every image uploaded uh, like a very quick way to make sure that those images are not in the data set. And so it looks like something like that happened and they found traces of this in the Leon 5 billion data set. Nistan, you mentioned in our private conversation, we, we had quite, quite a conversation about this in our group DM. This is a contentious topic, obviously, right? This is a problematic topic. It points a few fingers. So I'd like to discuss the little bit open source implication of this, not too much, but Nistin, what tools did they use? Something about Microsoft. Could you speak about this a little bit? Yeah, so I, I connected with a colleague that works on this stuff for, for here in Canada that directly works on them. A Fed friend, as you would say. And they were not aware that an actual thing had been released. And then I tried to get a statement, but they, they did not want to give a statement. We should be careful about making accusations on unconfirmed stuff because it has very wide implications of associating people with it. So for example, in this case, they used a software from 2009 that has a known and investigated false positive and declared false negative rate. And they said that out of 1 billion images, a few thousand might be kid abuse. And that's that would mean false if they were false positives, which is not even confirmed, that would mean a one in a million chance. If it turns out that they're not false positive, then that image said will be back online and will be hosted again. And uh, if it turns out, it will be deleted. So now it is simply frozen because it is an open source project and they provide this stuff to researchers, unlike things that you see from other companies. And uh, that's the interesting thing. So the software they use is called PhotoDNA. It's actually pretty good, even though it's a 2009 algorithm. It changes everything to black and white. And it, it's really good. But when you're dealing with a scale of 5 billion images, even tiny one in a million inaccuracies could mean thousands of false results. And that's the issue here, because we did not get an actual statement from authorities. We got statement from charities and researchers that are not allowed to actually confirm to, to look at that stuff. It's only you have to be a federal officer to actually confirm that. This is the disconnect that there is in the media because 
people might assume that it actually is kid abuse. And that's not, that, that's not confirmed. It's just this 2009 software that does hashing via black and white uh, large hashes. It's not even ML-based. Flagged it as potentially having that. And they, this information was taken and then was tied in with all other people's agendas and people submitted safety papers on the same date. And then they were tagging also journalists and vice editors at the same time. So it, it was pretty strange how it all happened in a very unscientific way. Yeah. So we, as I said, we, we had quite a discussion about this. This is a contention topic that brings people personal opinions in, in addition to it's fairly like possible to abuse something like this as a kind of like something you point fingers to and produce the open source. We, we have to say this thing, right? Open source data sets are good. Open access, open source data sets are good. This is the way to figure out how to deal with these problems, how to use better software than a 2009 hashing algorithm, for example. I think the folks from Leon taking this down probably were reached out to by some folks that, that did this research. And open, I, I don't love repeating Elon Musk, but like Sunshine is the best disinfectant. Like it, it's great to, to have research into this to prevent these things from happening. And the best way to do this is open source. Like what better way to detect and use something like better CSAM algorithms than having concrete evidence against for this. Now, it's not great that it's an open source if it actually contains a, a lot of these very problematic material and one thing that i read somewhere is taking it down removing just those highlighted kind of images or problematic images is even worse because when they put it back on and it would not contain them a very simple diffing mechanism between the two data sets can point it's like a map basically here's the problematic stuff for people who want to find it right so even putting this back is not as simple uh, but the matter of fact like we're reporting on the news here the news is right now there's a legation store at Leon. Uh, right now the data set is been taken offline by Leon folks. Um, this is not the first time they had um, hot water issues with them. They've been previously um, accused by including copyrighted material as well. Uh, and they didn't take it down then. Here's an interesting point. Omesh, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to highlight that the study that basically triggered this is on Stanford Internet Observatory website because that's the organization actually did this. And as we all know, the LION 5 billion database does not contain the images itself. Alex, you already said that. But it also contains the link or the URL pointing to the image. And the, the study that was carried out was on the images which were already labeled as unsafe in the database. So these are the things that we should be, I think we should be aware of. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Definitely a problematic kind of from all around issue. And I guess hopefully we'll have more news about this, whether or not those images that were uh, triggered falling under kind of false positives or not, whether this is like a, a larger play thing. I can see how some folks would like these data sets do not exist, but I, we don't want to report here on conspiracies. After, go ahead. And welcome, by the way, and feel free to introduce yourself briefly. Hello, I'm Arthur, and I'm author of Diffusers GS library. And what I wanted to say is that this image data set contains only URLs, so they are public, publicly accessible URLs. So authorities can contact their, those website owners to take down the images. 
So authors, so Lion, don't even need to remove all those links from the data set. Basically, these images should be just removed from public access, from the websites which are publicly accessible. And I guess that will resolve the problem because no one will know which images are lost because every time, with time, images are moved or deleted or something happens with hostings where they are stored. And so some images just disappear from the data set. Links are there, but images are not accessible anymore. So yeah, that's what I wanted to say. Yeah, that's also a great, great call out. It's very clear that this work that Leon did is very important, right? So it's all public access, like we said. Some of these links are to adult website as well, the images, and some of these links are to, to non-existing images as well. Again, it's like 5 billion. They just scraped. It's almost like the common crawl data set to an extent as well. And many of the text data sets also include text from non-favorable. That's the, When you crawl the web automatically, that's what happens. And it's going to be interesting to follow how this thing is getting resolved. It reminds me a little bit about the outrage of something that happens when an LLM spits out some information that, that looks not that great for some people. And then our mutual learnings in this new world of LLMs kind of hallucinate and, and tell things or bad things, but eventually nothing happens in the real world. The harm is already there, right? So like these websites already include those images, following that and taking down those, those images sh should be done regardless of whether or not this open source data set is there. So definitely we'll follow along. But I think the highlight of this to me was the conversation from I think Clem or the other Hugging Face co-founder where scrutiny into open data sets is good. And we have to remember that many of the companies, the open, the closed source companies, they have the same data sets, bigger data sets with zero scrutiny. With They're not opening them up. Not, none of the Stanford observatory can look into the, the closed source and they likely to include some of this as well, unless they have tools to remove such content from their data sets. And if they have those tools, it they should make them public probably, right? For the benefit of all of us. Go yeah. ahead, Nissen. And to be fair to Stanford's team, they, they did actually point this out. They pointed out that it could be much worse in closed source companies and they could have products out and nobody knows to, to take them down in the first place. So it's also important to highlight here that Lion's datasets are not just used for kids making anime pornography on the net. They are actually very helpful to people in the community, <laughs> providing compute and stuff for fighting cancer and detecting uh, detecting disease in, in crops. Could help potentially could have massive improvements for farming and not using as many pesticides and making farming AI is very cheaply accessible to literally the whole planet. So seeing this lack of scientific scrutiny in whether this is actually confirmed and stuff versus jumping to conclusions and tagging in tabloids and media editors, that's very not nice. And I'm going to conclude it at that. Yeah, I hear you, Nistan. Making this as something like less nuanced than this is, and this is a very like problematic area and very nuanced as well. Reducing the nuance for this feels wrong. 
and removing nuance from this conversation definitely feels some people would use this and we're on twitter right we're on x so some some people will use this no matter how to gain followers and notoriety as well some people will point out that they have been talking about these issues for decades nobody listened to them now this is a good time to listen to them because of this so definitely all these things are there again problematic topic as a parent i know how horrible this feels to even hear that that it happens and so we'll, we'll definitely report on how this kind of shaked out but i've met with some of the land folks eleuther folks they're not collecting this for a specific purpose this, and they took this down so kudos to them on trying to solve this and hopefully more will come out of this team and uh, i think like we said open source and uh, open access like the best way to potentially solve these issues and build other algorithms and and solving this all right so i think we we can move on from this topic and uh, should I play the Christmas music again to bring up the vibes back a little bit? Let's do this a little bit. Because, like, we started with this one thing, like a bitter pill to swallow, but, like, we usually report in the positive here. And let's try to switch to something more positive. Even though there's other non-super positive news that I want to talk about just real quick. But generally, I think they're okay. I really want to chat about the leaderboards and what happens over there and what excuse me, <coughs> shit show is happening on the open source leaderboards. So as you folks know, as you folks know, we here on Thursday, we talk a lot with folks who put out the best fine tune and open source models. I was told in secret that some folks from Mistral even heard when we got geeked out after Mistral came out, that some folks at Mistral like space just like uh, blasted our Thursday. So shout out to Mistral folks. And the way we know which models are the best. There's a few ways that we know, right? One such way is the open source, big, large language model leaderboard that Hug and Face kind of graciously provides for us as a service. And they run a bunch of benchmarks. And this is like a good way to see if another model that just released like beats other models. And we often report like, hey, here's the best model. And recently, and I guess we're now talking about like the second quote-unquote issue with open source and open access recently what we saw and i think this week there was a whole discussion about this there was a um on hugging face that actually many people talked back and forth where we talked about data contamination being one reason that that, that some of these models are uh, performing better on benchmarks than the others data contamination uh unlike the previous thing we just discussed is where some of the questions and answers on an evaluation that this leaderboard uses to know which model is the best, some of the questions and answers or all of them somehow find their way into a data set that this model is trained on. And this is the reason why this model answers better or worse than others, right? So this sometimes happens inadvertently because many of the data sets that are used to train these models, they they can include pieces from other data sets. A lot of them are like Frankenstein data set, data set they include pieces from this one, that one. Actually, many of the secret sauces that the folks like News Research and the folks like Alignment Lab, Friends of the Pod, and other folks who like create these like best in class fine tunes, many of the methods they use is this like weird voodoo magic where they take a lot of like data from different places and uh, do some more data sets on their own, and then they fine-tune these models on these data sets, right? And sometimes contamination happens where some of the data sets they use include the actual benchmarks, include the actual kind of text for how uh, the hug and face 
measures performance, right? Sometimes it happens on accident, but sometimes it happens on purpose. And the reason for that is because that dashboard already includes a lot of eyes on it. It's very an interesting way to promote yourself in your startup, let's say, when you're like top of the leaderboard, nobody knows why, even though it should be fully open source. And it's a way to promote yourself. And we've seen a few folks that talk about how these metrics are not the best. And I want to welcome Pharrell to the stage as well. Pharrell, we've been talking about evaluations are not great. I think you were the, the paragon of discussing how they don't mean that much. Yeah, so this is not like unique to one benchmark, right? This is every single benchmark out there. They don't mean shit, right? Like it, it's pretty, it, there's a lot of reasons why they're not good indicators, right? One of them is that there's a game theoretic aspect to it, which is that, like you said, people who want to jump on the leaderboard and make a name for themselves and push their model, they can game these benchmarks. You can game them in a lot of different ways. Right? You don't need to game it just by training on uh, contaminated data, right? Like like actual benchmark data sets. But you can actually game it by just building a better model for multiple choice questions, or encompassing the the knowledge that these benchmarks try to do that, or training on the format that these these evaluations like like, like these data sets are are structured in. Um, the benchmarks themselves, the way that they're that the answer is evaluated at the end, that can be gained. Like how um, uh, how you actually determine whether the model answered correctly or not. Um, some models are more verbose when they answer. So let's say you ask it uh, uh, choose a, an answer out of A through D. The model might be very verbose, so it answers sure. The answer is C, and this is why. It might be a correct answer, but it's marked as wrong. Because again, it, it doesn't follow the formatting. So you can game it that way where you just make it make, make a really good model at these like multiple choice questions. Right? This is this is something that's been going on for, for for a while across a lot of benchmarks. Any benchmark up there, to be honest, is is sus. And uh, yeah, there there are good indications to it, but then when you have too much noise. Like when you have so many models that are pumping out, and that's only going to get worse, right? it, it, better and worse, better because we have more models and more choices, but uh, worse in the sense that there's going to be a lot of noise from these folks that, uh, again, want to top the benchmarks just because that's what people base their decision on whether to try the model or not. But again, that doesn't mean shit. If you want to actually know whether a model is good for you or not, the, the best thing is to actually try it and to actually work through it by evaluating yourself on your specific tasks. And if it doesn't work, like mo most likely if, if that top model doesn't work, it's because it was gamed in a way that does not allow it to actually perform well on anything but just benchmarks. Yeah, so thanks for, thanks for that. And uh, hopefully I'm back now. Not I just decided to drop and in, enter in, my AirPods, so hopefully you guys can hear me well. This does raise a very interesting point, Farrell, and we've talked about this multiple times. Like, how do you actually know? And we've talked about vibes-based evaluation sets where you and your friends and all these people that you follow actually try out some of these models. But then again, not many people have the compute or ability to try out, let's say, a mixture even. 
and something that's not necessarily possible on one laptop or the bigger models, definitely. We've talked about this back when Falcon released 180B, right? Which is like, okay, they released like this huge model and this huge model is now open source, but can we actually try it? Can we actually run these 180 billion parameters just for evaluation's sake? And so there's also like this discussion where some people started to use the open source models actually in business context and how do they do those business decisions? How do they actually say, hey, this model, that model is better? And I think we don't have a good answer. I think it's very worth pointing out that some of the the top models are now gaming the system for sure for notoriety or for other reasons. The whole discussion in Hagen Face was about the specific method called Uno, that the method itself wasn't disclosed and there was not a lot of understanding of what it entails, whether or not there was just like a merge between different things. And um, definitely this highlights a, a problem with open sourced uh, if, uh, leaderboards where like the, the metrics are also open source and it's very easy to just include them and be there because many people are now understanding the importance of those leaderboards, the importance of the, the best models around and many people, there's a lot of eyeballs on there and so you can gain, again, like we said, a little bit of a fame by, by being there and so how do we actually evaluate? I think Andre Kopati said it best, maybe. There's only two things that he trusts now this is like the vibes from local llama. We've talked about the subreddit for local llama because many people there, like one of the friends of the pod, or hopefully at some point friends of the pod, Wolfram Raven Raven something. He has a lot of like personal ways he evaluates those, and he doesn't expose those methods, but he definitely does a thorough job, and we we like like those results. But many other people just test out the models, and the second one is the arena from LMSys where. It's not only about evaluation. The arena in LMSYS actually has a blind kind of way for you to interact with the arena where you they ask people to go in there. And by the way, by extension, we ask you to go to the arena from LMSYS and you send some prompts and they randomize which models will answer to your prompts behind the scenes and you get two results and you just vote which one is the best. So basically, it's a human kind of check and they often add a bunch of open models. They recently added some of the stuff from, I think, Capybara, they added from friends of ours like Luigi. I think they have added Open Hermes from News Research. Mister, I think you mentioned they added some other stuff as well. And then they generate kind of an ELO score for the these models. The problem there is it's not automatic as much as the open source leaderboard is. But this is what Andre said. He trusts the Elipsis Arena and the local Llama kind of framework. Go ahead, Pharrell. Yeah, so w- what I wanted to add to that is that the the other reason that Karpathy also mentions this idea that like the arena and human eval e- human evaluations is like the 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 benchmarks themselves are like the fact that they're multiple choice. It, it just it, it doesn't work as a good evaluation framework for LLMs where there's much more nuance when it comes to how like how the actual LLM is is, per- is performing with your specific task, right? So the the issue is that there is no real way for us to do it in a kind of systematic, quantified way, except some of the newer methods like representation engineering from Anthropic, which we've been working with for a couple of, since the paper came out. But the idea here is that we need something completely different than this leaderboard because it not only because of the gaming aspect of it, but it itself is not a good indicator of a good model, right? It's like 
we're hitting the limit, uh, like how uh, LLMs glazed through the Turing test. A lot of these benchmarks are pre-LLM formats, right? They're pre-LLM data sets, right? We blaze through that in a way as well, right? And it, again, they're, they're not just because the models are better at these things, but because there's so much, so many variables and so many factors when it comes to these benchmarks that don't, they are not taken into account. So yeah, th there needs to be something new. This is like an open challenge. And like anyone who's listening, who is looking for something to do in open source, this is a worthy challenge because if we're not evaluating models on the objectives that we are seeking, then we're, we're, we're basically flying blind, right? Like, we're, we're not building the models that are going to be aligned with our, with, with, with what we want as, uh, as the operators. Absolutely. And so I wanted to add to this as well, there's something that actually came out this week uh, that could, at least in this area, is uh, Flask. Uh, uh, Flask is a fine-tuned language model evaluation. And the cool thing about Flask is that even the existing models, they show the, the difference between the closed source and open source models. And we've talked about multiple times about, hey, this model achieves like GPT 3.5 level kind of knowledge and, and quality and, and We've talked about this, and all of those are based on the kind of same evaluation, the MMLU score, the GSM 4K or 6K, like all these things. KAIST is a, a Korean institute, I think, and uh, we met a lot of folks in Europe that, that, that are from there. And the tweet that I just added to the top is a, a new evaluation framework and research called Flask, and there's a paper as well that even shows that even on just given a new way of evaluating all those, we see that there's a difference. There's quite a vast difference actually between closed source and open source models that was previously looked at okay the open source achieves the same quality on some of the benchmarks as the closed source and i think new evaluation ways is going to be very important i agree with Farrell, i agree with you completely we want to know we all know if we're improving, right? We all want to know if we're sitting here, we're talking about these models from week to week, this the state of the art, that state of the art. Do we actually know that they're state of the, state of the art and how? How are we improving on which benchmarks? Some of these benchmarks are evaluated by AI as well, right? So MT Bench, for example, is, I think, using GPT-4 for evaluation itself. And so we want to know, and those announcements, that, hey, we, we announced the like, best model and this and that, that's going to be very interesting. It's funny how there's also this world is bifurcated to an extent. There's the kind of the world of fine tuning existing models. And when the foundational models release, they compare themselves to the paper and the actual results of the previous models. And yeah, we, it's a hard task to know which models are actually performing better. And I think that vibes and human evaluation are going to get us to some extent, but we want to see additional efforts in this area. So I just wanted to report also on, on the Flask thing from Kaist, and there's a whole, I think, podcast from 12 Labs, which I just like looking, looking now to bring you this tweet. I just saw that the guys behind Flask are actually chief scientists for 12 Labs, and 12 Labs are uh, friends of the pod. We should bring them up at some point. We've talked about multimodality, and 12 Labs are doing a lot of stuff in multimodality. And so I think, unless, Nistin and Nimesh, you have comments here, we, we should move on from the evaluation stuff. Let me just let me just pull up and then see where we're moving to. Okay, so just give me one sec. 
Okay, the next thing I want to talk about is MLX. And we've talked about MLX just a little bit. Nisten, do you have a brief like uh, recap of how what MLX is? Yeah, so Apple made it much easier to run stuff on Apple chips without having to install Torch and uh, a whole bunch of dependencies. So now you just have MLX that you use. And they even released versions of some popular models, like you can run Mistral via MLX. So you just have this one page of code and you run it on Apple machines. Now, the important part to highlight here is that it's not yet that much better or anything than using Torch or, or Llama CPP. There are still challenges in terms of getting LLMs to run on Apple's neural engine. You can, in theory, should be able to run the feed forward network parts of an LLM on the neural engine and run the rest on the GPU. But yeah, just to conclude, for now, MLX is a much easier way to just with one piece of code, so you don't have to install a whole bunch of like gigabytes and gigabytes of, of crap. For, and then hope the dependencies work. You just have one dependency from Apple and it, it does everything for you. It does Torch, runs all of that. So that, that makes it nice for Apple developers. The thing to keep in mind is that it's still mainly just CPU and GPU. And Whisper, you've been able to run on the on the neural engine, but I, I did not uh, test it uh, for that. So th there's more to come here. For now, it's it's a much easier way to use the models, but we're likely to start seeing some Apple-specific advantages pop up when it comes to these, to these language models, if it can leverage some of the silicon that is, is, is not being used much right now in Apple Trips. Absolutely. Thank you, Nistan, for the background. We've talked about MLX uh, a while ago. I think they haven't released it. They released it a few weeks ago, and we've been talking about Apple in the same way that we've been talking about Google, like where's Apple series still is not that great, and she hasn't gotten the upgrades that we all gotten last year with ChatGPT, right? And Apple releasing MLX. Previously, Apple releasing some stuff for stable diffusion to improve how it runs on Apple devices as well. Uh, the fact that the MacBook, the Apple Silicon MacBooks, they have a mix of the CPU and the GPU and the shared memory and the neural engine to run AI, like all these things. We've been covering this for a while. So they released MLX to simplify how to run. And I remember the PyTorch having supported the Apple Silicon for a while, and then they added like MPS or something like that. MLX is like a simpler way to run these things. The things that I wanted to report there on is there's now a Hug and Face community called the MLX community, it's literally hugandface.co slash MLX dash community, that people there convert the models into MLX comparable uh, format, including instruct and code variations for some of the for some of the models so it's like the same looks like the same effort as some folks do for ggf models if i'm not mistaken so there's this whole community and they pre-convert things to mlx models so you can follow that that's been to the tweet will be in the show notes as well and the reason why we're bringing in mlx is because this was a few weeks ago since then we saw apple those of us who went on europe's i think i reported as well apple had a huge booth in europe's a huge one and that booth doesn't like just just appear out of nowhere they're working on some stuff so now again we cannot report on anything that we know behind the scenes not that we know anything apple's like super secretive but what we do know is that apple usually releases stuff when they're ready 
And uh, this week, we've got another glimpse into something that Apple could potentially release for us with a new paper that's called something flash in the pan. And Apple released a, a new paper and the new concept of how to potentially run models super fast on edge devices, which gives us hints. It doesn't tell us any significant thing, but gives us hints towards the fact that the things that Apple are known for is user privacy, right? That's at least the things that they want to be known for. And the best way to do user privacy, and we've been covering this for a while, we had Zenova from Transformers.js and Arthur here from Diffusers.js, is to run these models on device. This is the best privacy. You don't send the information anywhere. The model runs on your device. And so Flash in the pen is away from Apple to a model to significantly improve how these models can run on edge devices. And that's been all over the news since Apple released it. But this kind of just points fingers towards this is where Apple is going. And at some point, this is where we're going to see a lot of uh, innovation. So we've seen smaller and smaller models like Phi become significantly better. And we can talk about Phi in a little bit because I know the, the, the consensus among the, 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 the folks on stage about Phi is not conclusive. But we've seen smaller and smaller models perform better, including Mistral 7B doing incredible. We've seen improvements in how to run this. Obviously, hardware improves all the time. From iPhone to iPhone, the improvements significantly better. Apple released, we covered this briefly as well. When Apple released the M chips from for the MacBooks, they also released something that improves performance specifically for their chips. And so we're just like tying the pieces together. MLX releases to give us an easier way to, to for all of us to run these models uh, locally on our Mac, something that we love to do and Llama CPP enabled us to do. They now release Flash in the Pan that shows that uh, these models can run significantly faster on actual devices and mobile devices as well. We saw multiple releases from open source from Apple to improve even stable diffusion to run on their devices. Apple doesn't do a lot of open source, but the ones that they do, we should listen. And then we now saw they're also hiring for a lot of people on new IPS. And so the question remains, where's Apple? But it sounds like when they come, they will come with something very significant. I just wanted to highlight the MLX community and highlight the Flash in the Pen stuff. I'll add them to the show notes. Mr. Pharrell or Mesh, if you have comments on Flash in the Pen, feel free. I'm going to add Arthur. Looks like he dropped. No, I'm, we are still testing some of the MLX uh, stuff because Avni Hanan, who is uh, dropping all these things, is dropping things uh, hard and fast. So a lot of things are coming through. And uh, if you remember, Weibo from uh, Hugging Face actually managed to run 5.2 very efficiently on uh, Apple Silicon. So that is also a very interesting uh, uh, thing. So we are, yeah, there is so many things. <laughs> Yeah, and as for the paper that they had on uh, using loading models a lot more efficiently and running them from uh, NVMe drives, I think me and Pharrell were on opposite ends of that. Pharrell saw some interesting opportunities, and I don't think it's worth bothering too much. So we'll, we'll see what comes out of that paper. Yeah, absolutely. I will just point out that Gemini that we've talked about came out in three flavors. Gemini Ultra that none of us got access to, besides the Google folks, the lucky ones that they're able to play around with the Ultra model. And then Gemini Pro that all of us got access to via Bard. And that was that was okay. That was GPT 3.5 level, maybe. And again, coming back to validation, how we test, if you go to the LMC's arena, 
that we see that it's around GPT 3.5 from the summer. And we did saw that Mixtral, the mixture of experts from Mistral, is actually beating that. But we also saw a tiny model from uh, Gemini as well. And that the whole point of that is to be able to run on device, like a, um, a tiny model that runs on device. So uh, Google is also like gunning for that thing. And I think... Omesh, last time that we've talked, you said we have something, that you guys are building something called, I want to say, neural engine or something like that, where we have a smaller model making decisions whether or not to invoke even a larger model. And I think that at least some of it will be happening with these like models on device, right? That like some of the stuff that will happen on device with smaller models, and they will actually be the decision, the router, whether or not to invoke something in the cloud. Yeah, I'll just add uh, a small improvement that happened. And that's actually why I'm running late in, in actually catching up with the news also, because last week we had the uh, we had few of the implementation of that in enterprise uh, level. And one of the biggest advantage that we found was with Gemini, actually Gemini API, because Gemini API has parameters that gives you deterministic output. So you can even define the multiple outputs that you need. So in API, you can call for five different inferences from the same call. And, and you can also have structured response, like in terms of JSON or something. So all these parameters were, which do not exist currently in that particular form in OpenAI APIs. This is great because then you can have a small orchestration model, which you can train specifically on those parameters, fine tune it on those parameters. And then that model will control or sit in the middle, kind of man in the middle for your interaction with with larger models. So yeah, we are really excited because we have seen some really great results from that. Awesome. Oh, and and yeah, one more thing for uh, Gemini Nano, for the thing they're doing for Google phones, the newer Snapdragon Gen 3 phones, which I think is on the Samsung 24 or S24, they have, I think about 10 teraflops of uh, and of ML acceleration chip on it. So they're, they're already shipping this in. So now it's just a matter of getting the software to work right. And the funny part was that someone found out that the Gemini Nano model for the phone might just be like a GGML file. So they're likely using Llama CVP to, to run it on, on, on Android devices. Wow. Which is <laughs> pretty great. hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Arthur, go ahead. Yeah, I wanted to add that when you were talking about the Apple, but uh, I dropped out because of some connection issues. Anyway, Apple has released WebGPU in Safari. They didn't tell about Safari Mobile yet, but I guess they will add that in near future too. I think we will be able to run neural network models with WebGPU on mobile phones somewhere next year. And since iPhone 15 can run Resident Evil and some other big games with uh, huge RAM. I think they have about eight gigabytes and very good GPU. So I guess next year will be something wild for mobile phones and running some neural networks directly on mobile, especially with all those distillation methods, uh, optimizations and stuff like that. So a lot, a lot to be seen, and also like Apple is stepping into, Apple is definitely stepping into kind of the, the the new spatial compute they call this, right? And we've been talking about how multimodal is the next thing, but then embodiment in the real world is also very interesting. I can't wait to to see the combination of both. I can't wait to to sit in my 
uh, augmented reality things and just look to the right and there's going to be an LLM agent and that should all be running on my device and hopefully we'll see some very interesting things there. Safari is also a very interesting kind of addition because we want to see there's nothing better than the open web, right? And there's no better like distribution of something that that just like runs on the open web. And that is definitely good for privacy as well for people. Yeah, where's Apple is going to be our next question. We, we kept asking where's Google and then we saw Google come out. Hopefully at some point we'll be able to actually use Ultra and actually test it and play around with this. But now our uh, sites are looking into Apple and where's Apple. Go ahead, Domesh, and then we're going to continue. Yeah, just just to add to what Nistan was talking about. So one of the one of the hint we got from Google team specifically in the UK who are working on Android is that the model could be at the core of Android. So it could be very closely integrated. And I don't know whether you're going to touch upon the video poet today or not, Alex, but it ties up into video poet because there are some things that in video poet uh, paper that hints you towards that. So it's very interesting. Yeah, let's get there once we get to the AI art and diffusion models as well. We have a few things to cover there. Okay, I think we've covered open source and started like shifting. And that's interesting. We always have this like kind of smooth transition towards like big companies because like we now mentioned Apple and then we we mentioned Apple's kind of open source attempts. And now we're, we're shifting towards Google and then Google is doing less open source, even though per Nisten, they potentially use some open source in, <laughs> in on their devices. Nisten, I, I need a, I need a link for that. I need to like check it out. It's a really hilarious thing. Did you like launch Lama CPP or whatever GGF files that they ship? I think that's pretty much what we have in open source. And now as we shift to the big companies, I wanted to mention the Anthropic thing. So Anthropic released like a silent update to their APIs as well. Those of you who use Cloud Pro, we've talked about has now 200K, uh, 200K context uh, windows uh, for Pro and still 100K. It's still pretty fast and very com- like very com- um, very good for summarizing as well. Uh there was a whole discussion about their long context not having great performance. If you guys remember that needle in the haystack from Greg Cumbrand kind of research, we've talked about this, I think we already reported this before, where Anthropic came out and did hey, uh, and said, if you add this one weird trick to our prompting, then you get a performance boost from 27% to 98%. It actually, saw, I saw, and I should add this to the show notes as well, I saw that people try to replicate that exact thing where it just, Anthropic had a very interesting way that feels very old to prompt their models via the API. You had to actually write the string human column and then what, what you wrote and then bot or a machine or something column or assistant column and what the assistant would answer. And the way they try to solve this needle in haystack context issue by which people notice that their model doesn't recall all of the hidden, let's say, information facts that are in big context. They said that, hey, if you append this specific string to what the model will respond with, then it will improve. And the string was something to here is a very detailed information or something like that. First of all, it's a very interesting kind of attempt. But second of all, the only reason why you were be able to do this is because uh, as as the Entropic API wasn't as uh, uh, consistent the open AI messages format, you were able to augment, you were able to, to, to start the response of their model with your string. 
if, if that makes sense. I'm not sure if like, this is coming through correctly. But now they quietly changed to the messages format as well. And messages format is basically, if for those of you who don't write API calls, OpenAI released this, I want to say, with ChatGPT on March, right? Before there was just completion. And in completion, you would do something like, hey, assistant colon and then human colon, assistant colon. You would just add all these messages into one big string. And in messages format, you would just you'd pass a, an array of messages. And this would be in JSON format. You would say assistant said this, user said this. And finally, Anthropic joined the gang. And now it's compatible to how OpenAI does this and many other people as well. Kudos to Anthropic. The question that I have is whether or not that still supports that one weird trick that we saw from them that improves performance on long some reservation tasks. But I guess that remains to be seen. And I think that's it on the Entropic stuff. And the only other big company update that I have here is that Microsoft Copilot, which is a rebranded version from Microsoft was it Bing Chat previously, finally has plugins. And one, one big one that we're going to cover next in the audio space, but Microsoft Copilot has finally has plugins. I haven't seen, it's very interesting because as, as OpenAI and ChatGPT removed plugin support from their system and moved towards GPTs and actions, Microsoft releases plugins and there's some plugins of theirs. Interestingly, browsing is now a plugin and you can turn it off. So in the Microsoft Copilot thing, now you can remove the, which was you, once the whole point of using Bing chat was the kind of the browsing thing, the ability to connect to the web. And now it's turned offable by a plugin. <laughs> so I think that's very interesting because inside ChatGPT you cannot turn it off unless you create a custom one, but in Bing chat you can. So like the, the things are, have switched. So now one of the plugins is a very interesting one that we're going to cover next. I just wanted to ask Nista, I remember you used Bing Chat uh, for a while, now it's Copilot. Are you still using this a while or have you switched? No, I still use it. I love the browsing. I'm uh, a browser maxi if you want to. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I want to get it to have like 10, 20 links and then pull them all as a rack system almost every time. By the way, on on OpenAI, if you just switch to plugins and don't use any plugins, then it will uh, it will answer stuff without looking up the web. Yeah, th that's one method. Another method I saw, and I think I did this, Simon did this as well. You can create a custom GPT and turn off the web browsing feature, and that way you'll get a non-browsing agent or chat GPT as well. I just find it funny that the main reason why Microsoft released Copilot or Ch Bing Chat back then was it's connected to the internet like directly. It like literally is part of their search engine and now you can turn off browsing for it but then open the eye did not come with internet browsing we asked for it for a while now it comes for one and you cannot turn it off like i find this comparison funny okay and just think just really quickly i want to say that bing does not just search the web for it it also it looks like it vectorizes all of other people's results and official links that they've opened so you end up with much more current information, especially if you ask Bing for sources. It actually gives you very current sources on that information because it's using the recent searches from, I don't know how old it is, to actually make a vector search engine. And yeah, so it, it's right now, it, it's, I would say, a lot better than anything else when it comes to search, except maybe perplexity. Yeah, so perplexity is like an additional thing that people are 
really impressed by. I haven't, I'm not a big Profilaxia user myself yet, but it looks like I should switch because I hear more and more people will just stop searching and, and use Perplexity. Uh, and they recently offered API as well. Go ahead, Umesh. Yeah, I just wanted to say that with particularly with with Bard, for example, if you're doing the same thing, and if you, let's say, refer to something that has appeared on the web, let's say, an hour ago or half an hour ago, and it refuses, you can, if you reprompt it properly, it will actually fetch the information and then come back to you. So that is something that is very interesting in case of, specifically in case of Gemini and Bard, basically. All right. The reason why, first of all, plugins is super cool and we should update, we should give kudos to the team in Bing or Microsoft Copilot, I guess they rendered that they've released plugins, even though they didn't work for OpenAI, they may work for them. The plugin that makes a lot of noise this week is the specific one that's called Suno. I think we're moving towards the the sound uh, and audio version uh, or area of Thursday AI, where they released this plugin in collaboration with Suno AI. It's now part of the Microsoft Copilot plugins and creates these long and beautiful full-length songs and that I really encourage you guys to try and check it out. And I think Suno has been around for a while. I think I'm on the Discord for at least the last six months. They've been doing like short form songs before, but now they, they're trust in the limelight by Microsoft integrating them officially. So you can now talk to Microsoft uh, Copilot. And I will never get used to saying Copilot after Copilot being a code thing for two years and now it's the Bing chat, whatever. And then it will generate a song for you for any type of thing that you like. So if you want to impress, and again, this is a pre-Christmas episode. If you want to impress your relatives around the Christmas table with some AI stuff, you can generate a very specific song, including their names in a punk rock Christmas uh, tune or something like that. And Suno will generate that straight inside the Copilot interface. And that's pretty cool. So I just wanted to highlight that there is a, again, Carpathy, the dear Carpathy, let me just find this. Carpathy just posted a song and I don't think it was generated with Copilot, but it definitely is catchy. Uh, let me add this to the top of the tweet where, and I think folks on stage here aside, it's called, I want to return to monkey, which talks about a person or not, not having fun with this like, progressive society he wants to return to like <laughs> when humans were monkeys. And it's pretty incredible that from time to time we get to see how far AI stuff has come. And we talked about this from week to week and from week to week we see some advances, but from time to time you like, you hear the song, it's almost unbelievable that this was not generated, this was not created by humans writers, right? This was not like, created by uh, people actually recording on the instruments. It was all AI end-to-end. -end. It's pretty incredible that the shows where we could potentially go forward, especially with the, the vision stuff and the diffusion stuff, where very quickly we may see a lot of entertainment kind of pre-rendered and uh, created with AI. Definitely check it out. I want to return to Monkey and try out the Suno stuff from Microsoft Copilot because it's pretty cool and really impressive that you can like, you don't have to talk about LLMs and, and uh, complex terminologies around the dinner table. You can just play this to your grandma and uh, she will not believe you that this was not generated with human people uh, involved. And so I think that's pretty much it. And uh, I think we're moving towards AI art and diffusion. We have two things to report there. And I think today is good if we have a short episode as well. Uh, Umesh, you want to talk about the, the video stuff from Google? And then we can talk about uh, mid-journey and then we can conclude.
Yeah, certainly. Google basically uh, came out with VideoPoet, which is based on the uh, their kind of collaborative work with Carnegie Mellon, where they created Magwit V1, if you remember. But this is Mag, uh, Magwit V2 uh, model. And uh, basically what they realized during this research is that LLMs are quite capable of producing video and audio tokens. And uh, they can also do the self-attention trick of uh, looking at the past second of the video and generate the next second. So they are leveraging that capability. And that means that you can have a true text to video uh, model based on a very strong LLM. And then you can do in painting, out painting, and all sorts of stuff within the video pipeline itself by interacting with the video in, in natural language. The impacts are going to be far reaching. So I was, I was in one of the art space where there were quite a few people who are connected to film production and everything. And I wanted to take their views on that. And it was really fascinating what they imagine could be the use case is that you can actually generate the entire story. And then you can use, let's say, for example, Gemini Pro API kind of an API to create scenes. And then you can ground the model so you can retrain the model on the characters and the, the consistency of the character and the scenes and everything and create a wardrobe. And using that, you can actually create a very consistent uh, long form video, which is currently missing out, like missing from any of the tools which are there because you can't really keep the, uh, you know, the consistency of the faces or if you have, let's say, one character in the video and you want to put a different kind of outfit on the character or you want character to wear a hat or glasses or something, current diffusion models are not capable of, of reaching that real life richness. And these models, this particular framework, you can't call it a model, actually. It is a model, but it's slightly more, more advanced than just simple model. And for end, on top of that, it can also generate video using SoundStream. So that is really fascinating. So if this model actually works, as they say it does, and, and some of the videos are impressive, some of the videos are not so impressive if you really look at the videos. Um, uh, but if it works in that way, then you're looking at uh, the entire production pipeline coming through much faster than everybody was imagining that 2024 is going to basically bring slightly long-form videos and then 2025 might turn into something where we can see production-level videos and audios coming out. But that may happen really fast if this turns out to be true. Awesome. Thank you for bringing this. And definitely we saw a lot of text-to-video and we saw Pika. I think some of the folks here on stage got access to Pika recently. And the launch video for Pika was like super cool. But then people started playing with this and the results are not, not, not as impressive, but still very impressive. However, I think you're right. The, the whole point is consistency for longer frames. And I think new approaches needed there and we're going to see a bunch. I wanted to add... Uh, not from a video perspective, from an image perspective. The same problem that you just described existed in kind of the diffusion area as well, where at least many of the first attempts at video were just frame by frame generation with feeding kind of the previous generation to the next frame generation and trying to keep consistency. And we saw a bunch of very weird looking artifacty ridden, almost hallucinated kind of scenes where like the subject changes from frame to frame kind of to a crazy extent. So folks like... The forum art, for example, did, did like a bunch of those, like a very early video exploration. It has a certain vibe to it, like a very specific AI vibe. And I think that uh, for many people, this vibe is cool, but for some people, they would definitely want to move towards a higher production kind of consistency. And consistency is problematic here 
if you know how these models work, the whole like searching within the latent space and trying to find one model and trying to keep like in that area, there's a whole problem with consistency. So newer approaches may be needed. And so one such approach, I wanted to highlight a folks from Scenario. It's it's been to the top of the space. Scenario are doing incredible stuff, not in video, but definitely in, in image kind of diffusion stuff where the consistency is just ridiculously good. Just, I would definitely add this to the show note, but if you guys check it out, from Emmanuel to M, the consistency on generation of those characters in Scenario is ridiculous. I want to highlight, it's not, I don't think, open source. But definitely worthwhile if you're playing around with some stuff around there with specific, I don't know, Dungeons and Dragons cards or characters you want to generate or some other stuff. And definitely worth checking out. Consistency is coming. Like we saw earlier, a year ago, hands weren't there and then faces were weird and text didn't exist within generations. So now slowly the community is fixing most of these things. And as we talk about fixing, we have to move forward and discuss the most maybe ridiculous release of today, yesterday, Mid Journey version six. So as we all know, there's a few contenders to the kind of the, the king of diffusion models, AI art, etc. Mid Journey has been for a while the most, I don't know, killer team in this area, right? Like a very small team, only in Discord. At some point, I think they became the biggest Discord server in the world. I think it's still there with more than 10 million people in there. I think maybe they're not the most, the biggest one at this point, but definitely the whole business was like Discord and subscriptions, etc. So two things from Midjourney. One of them is they constantly work on improving their models. And a lot of this comes from their ability to take the, this vast community that always talks about which models are the best, sorry, which generations are the best. And the community also gives them a lot of preference for human preference. Previously, we've talked about LLMs. In the LLM world, we judge models by, by human judging them. Imagine that for something like Midjourney, every generation that they have on their Discord, people actually vote with which one of the images they would like to upscale. And that's a great signal for them to know which one of the images is actually good. And so this is a huge data set for them to keep improving on their own. And Midjourney version 6 is just, you know, it's coming close to reality. It's coming close to, to, to being really impossible to distinguish between AI art generation and, and just the regular picture. The ability to follow the prompt is incredible. I saw some examples from last night. I think they just released it. Some examples where you could ask for, I think, uh, Pietro Schirano, one of the friends of the pod, I asked him to come, he couldn't join, but he had an image generated with Pope in the boxing ring with Joe Biden. And he said, I want the Joe Biden to have the US flag on the gloves. And it's able to follow that specificity of placement where previously we saw something that specific only within, uh, only within Dali. Dali was like really good at following prompts and doing the secondary and tertiary kind of subjects within the generation. Definitely Midjourney is joining there. I saw text as well as being significantly better. And we must remember that the Midjourney team is still like nine people or something and they have like millions of people. And so uh, Midjourney version 6 is coming out. You, you will see on your stream, and we'll, we'll add to the, to the uh, show notes, the, just the quality of art for Midjourney is just ridiculous. And again, it's been less than, I think, around a year that, <coughs> excuse me, 
that um, uh, New Journey has been out, or at least a year and a half. And so we're moving towards some incredible entertainment very fast, and probably consistency is going to be solved next. And I think Umesh just said we're moving towards video after that. New Journey V6 is out. And I think with that, this is most of the news that we have to report this week. Uh, we don't have a deeper dive, and also you probably can hear from my voice. Uh, I'm getting like worse and worse since the, the space began, so I apologize. And I thank you all for the patience. Uh, I've been sick, and now I'm going to uh, lie down after this. But I just wanted to recap briefly everything we talked about and then cl close the space and wish you a lot of happy holidays and probably talk about next week as well. We ran through some open source stuff. We talked about, uh, we actually didn't cover, I wanted uh, some more folks uh, that are familiar with this, but we didn't cover the new transformer alternative architectures, but we talked about them last week. Hyena and Mamba are heating up. People are researching like different transformer alternatives. We're going to add this to the show notes. We've talked about Lion, Leon, 5B dataset being taken down due to some child CSAN allegations and child pornography allegations that are in this dataset. Dataset is taken down. We've talked about the, the implications of this and the open source nature of these datasets and the scrutiny that datasets like this deserve and the ability of doing them only for open source datasets, not for closed ones. So we still are waiting for some discussion around that and whether or not that actually included some of those. We've talked about the new evaluation framework from the Korean Institute called Flask that's based on skill set evaluations and shows a wider difference between closed source and open source models and uh, going to be interesting to see if that's going to get included. We've talked at length about the, the problem with evaluation and open leaderboard stuff where people can game the system by using the evaluation as part of their training data sets and many people do actually do so. There's a whole discussion about this in the Face forums and it, it, it became like, um, sorry, a shit show. Uh, we also briefly mentioned the fact that the same kind of happens for the uh, embedding models, the large embedding models that also have a leaderboard like a BGE and GINA embedding models as well. Those could also be gained a little bit as well. And so the teams are not focusing on them. We've talked about how to actually evaluate and the only methods are being, looks like the only methods for evaluation are now uh, local llama and some people who are doing manual things and something like a LMC's arena where we encourage you to go to LMCs and play with the arena, contribute yourself, but also that's the way to find out which models are actually uh, performing well and not just by benchmarks and valuations. Uh, then we've talked about Apple a little bit. Apple and uh, releasing MLX for us to, for easier inference on Apple devices and also releasing a paper called LLM in the Flash, which is highlighting for us that Apple is going to probably and most likely create something on device and then run models on device and potentially the Apple is taking a long time for the releases, but maybe the next iPhone or the next iPhone will actually have uh, inference on device. We've talked about Entropic switching their API format and doing some other stuff, including telling us how to best use their models with prompting. And then we've talked about Microsoft Copilot has finally plugins. And then we switched to one of the cooler plugins with it is Suno, where you can create full length songs from just a prompt. They sound super cool and they actually are full length and like actually the, the person sings in there and that's fully AI. And the recommendation was to do this and impress your uh, family and loved ones on Christmas. Then Umesh covered video poet from Google, where potentially we're going to see more consistency for longer, longer 
video streams and longer video AI generations, which consistency is the biggest problem right now. And then we covered mid-journey and now we're here. I think this is a quick recap of everything we covered. And I think it's time to maybe close out the space. And I just want to uh, tell thanks to everybody who keeps coming to Thursday AI, these live recordings. Uh, hopefully the sound issues in the beginning didn't uh, distract you too much from listening and getting up, the, up to date. We're here every week. Uh, even even when the main host is, is sick. Uh, but we're here every week since March 14th, and we love talking and keeping you up to date. This is the point. Uh, my name is Alex Volkov. I'm an AI evangelist. I did introduce myself in the beginning. I should probably remember to do that. I'm an AI evangelist with weights and biases. And uh, if you haven't tuned in for most of the episode this will be released hopefully without sound issues or i will be able to fix them on thursdayi.news i encourage you to subscribe in case you can't make it to the live show and also it's probably just a little bit cleaner there's also all the links and everything we talked about will be in the newsletter as well and with that i will not play any music because i've switched but i want to thank Nisten, arthur umesh and pharrell who was here before and some other folks for joining me this week and i want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays if you celebrate something else. And we will probably see you here next week as well because that will be after the holidays. And hopefully by then we'll test out all the issues as well. And we'll see how many new AI stuff we'll get from different places. I'm waiting for Santa Sam from OpenAI to release something for us. Just like more than the one wait that they released. That was funny if you guys saw that. And uh, yeah, we'll see you here next week hopefully. And with that, have a great Thursday.